Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today is the 1st of December, 2018, and on this day in history 100 years ago, occurred the following events. Hello and welcome history friends, patrons, delegates, all to, well, I was going to call this a history hit episode, but I'm sure that's probably copyrighted. It's a smaller episode than normal, because, well, every single episode doesn't have to be half an hour long when you get three or four a week. Because my sanity and also reasons. Anyway, you're very welcome. And, well, I was going to say we've got a lot to cover here because I'm so used to saying that. But what we have to cover today is a special story. Something that happened exactly 100 years ago today. And something which, for the younger crowd listening at this very moment, might seem a bit kind of far removed from our daily lives. But for those of us that weren't born in the 90s, such as myself, for those of us that remember what it was like to have a Yugoslavia, and for those of us that may even have been there, this episode may be a little bit poignant, especially if you remember the awful way that Yugoslavia deteriorated and eventually collapsed in on itself. For the record, I have been asked to cover that awful collapse of Yugoslavia, and I'm not saying that I'll never do it, but if I do do it, I will almost certainly have to medicate myself with alcohol or perhaps antidepressants 
or maybe just be really nice to myself another way and have loads of chocolate buttons on standby. It's not a very happy story, but at least the story starts somewhat happily. I say somewhat because just because it was proclaimed does not mean that everyone who was under this new flag was happy to be there. It was Prince Alexander who proclaimed the kingdom of the Serbs, Croats and Slovenes, but it was his father, King Peter, who served as its monarch. The fate of that kingdom was destined to be grim and contentious, and the consequences of the hasty Serb-sponsored union were felt, as I said, as recently as the 1990s, with the Second World War and repressive communist rule serving as additional speed bumps in the journey towards a utopian, federalist society of many nations, which it was declared the whole region wanted. Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Slovenia, Montenegro, portions of Macedonia and Albania were all included under the vast umbrella of Yugoslavia. The appearance of this kingdom and the proclamation of its existence by its new prince suggests that an overarching sense of identity existed, in turn, among all of its disparate parts. Yet in fact, one of the most remarkable things about Yugoslavia was that no indication of its sudden appearance was ever on display at any point before that incredible proclamation. Yugoslavia, in a sense, landed in the consciousness of the European powers on the 1st of December 1918, and they were to spend the Paris Peace Conference attempting to deal with the implications of its emergence. Which, like their Austrian foe had attempted to do during the July crisis, the Serbs had actually presented a genuine fait accompli to the other powers. With the great bulk of the Balkans united under their flag, it was for the Europeans to give their blessing, rather than challenge what appeared to have been a national movement which had captivated so many neighbours, languages, peoples, religions and borders. The Union had been made possible, as we have seen, by the swift application of force in the right areas by the Serb army, by the relative weakness of their neighbours, and by the disinterest of the rest of Europe, the real disinterest, which had never understood the Balkans to begin with. It actually suited many at the Paris Peace Conference to see the Serbian action as just as well, because it massively simplified such a disputed, culturally diverse region. Convenience aside though, Serbia and Yugoslavia as its project didn't exactly go ahead according to plan. For one thing, Montenegro was actually granted its own delegate for a while, until everyone in Paris sorted things out and realised that this new, immensely ambitious, but at least somewhat tidier kingdom was probably here to stay. One American military observer on the ground in Croatia was heard to say that, while the government officials all take pains to protest that the Serbs and Croats are one people, it is absurd to say so. The social climate is quite different. The Serbs are soldier peasants. The Croats are passive intellectuals in tendency. The public prosecutor, from whom one would expect a certain robustness of mind, told me frankly that the Croats had given up struggling against their Magyar oppressors long ago and had devoted themselves to the arts. The distinction between the Serbs and Croats as soldiers and artists, respectively, was something of a simplification, but it did reveal the fact that there was nothing to unite those peoples into the Union which now seemed to have appeared. To most ignorant observers looking at what was happening in the region, though, the very arrival of Yugoslavia was the justification for its existence. It had arrived because it had been desired. 
Yet, the closer examination of the different histories, religious persuasions, languages, literary records, and even agricultural methods told a vastly different story. Few Croats, Slovenes, or Serbs, etc., present a decade before, would have argued for a union based on vague appreciations of a shared history of resistance, or the broad interpretation of their Slavic race, or the occasionally absorbable elements of their languages that could be understood sometimes, but not always fully comprehended. With the declaration of this kingdom a century ago today, though, those qualities which drew these people together, genuinely, however vague or faint, well, these qualities were underlined and emphasised, and we should also bear in mind that while it was difficult, it was by no means impossible to find those that believed a loose federation of Balkan states would be a good idea. Even the name of the new state threw up problems for its constituent parts, Serbs seemed caught between viewing the new union as the realisation of their dreams for a greater Serbia and seeing it as a union under which all could prosper. What most Serbs did want, though, was recognition for the majority stake which Serbs would have in this new state. This was seen in the simple fact that it was the Serbian, rather than the Montenegrin, random Habsburg or other suitable European royal, which served as its monarch. Montenegro's royal family, in fact, were deposed and replaced by the new Serbian clan, a process made easier since Serbia's Kara Jordjevic dynasty had married into Montenegro's royal family and the king of Montenegro had been in exile in France at the time anyway. But what if Montenegro, this mountainous country sandwiched between Croatia and Albania and containing just 200,000 citizens, wanted to retain its independence? How would this gel with the ideas of self-determination? Would the Serbians be forced out? Would Yugoslavia be declared illegitimate? As we saw, the Allies did in fact grant Montenegro a single delegate for the Paris Peace Conference, because while they were optimistic in some cases, others, such as the French and the Americans in particular, were very wary of Yugoslavia appearing out of nowhere, and they didn't want to accept this brand new state before it could be proved that everyone in the region was actually happy. But having said that, if worse came to the worst, would the Allies knuckle down and fight the Serbs, Croats, Albanians, Slovenes, Bosnians, etc., all for the sake of 200,000 Montenegrins? Few had expected the post-war resolution of the Balkans to be a simple affair, but the dilemma which it threw up from the beginning demonstrated that Woodrow Wilson's principles were bound to be in jeopardy. Not even the name of the new kingdom was straightforward. Yugoslavia, the Kingdom of the South Slavs, was adopted only in 1929. Before then, it was the unwieldy Kingdom of the Serbs, Croats and Slovenes. Some advocated the Yugoslavia designation because it recognised the presence of the smaller nationalities, like Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania, etc., and because Yugoslavia had actually been used colloquially since the kingdom's inception, since the idea of that state as, well, a thing. For those that are interested, we would be remiss if we did not mention that the core premise of Yugoslavia, that being to unite the Balkan Slavs under a great and powerful union, was actually a 17th century concept, which did gain traction among many in the Balkans in the centuries beforehand, especially when everyone was under Ottoman rule and they weren't very happy anyway. But the nature of this hypothetical Yugoslavia and its structure and government was never clear or agreed to by all. Thus the ascension of the Serbian king to the top of the new polyglot kingdom startled many. Was this not merely the Austro-Hungarian Empire version 2 with more Slavic appendages but still an empire in all but name? 
Even Serbs were reluctant to fold themselves into the same camp as everyone else. The tension between ruling the kingdom as a Serb superstate or as a Slav superstate persisted right up to the end, in spite of the often generous autonomy which was granted to the other groups. Serbs, because they felt they had been the driving force in the creation of the state, and because, fair enough, they had suffered more than any other group to attain it, refused to countenance any drop in influence. One figure whose opinion mattered a great deal in all of this was the new king of the Yugoslavs, or king of the, well, I'm not going to say the title again, whatever the Serbs wanted to call themselves, he was the king of the Serbs, he had been for many years, and now he was the king of this new state. His name was King Peter I. Much like the creation of the new kingdom, Peter's experience of kingship and of rule were far from straightforward. His ancestor, the great Serb patriot, Karajord, had fought against the Turks in the name of Serb independence in the early 1800s until he was betrayed by a rival for rebel leadership, Milo Sobrenovic, and then assassinated. Following Karajord's assassination in 1817, the Obrenovic family took over the ruling of the Principality of Serbia, and the Karajord family went into exile. The family feud was ignited several times over the 1800s, but it reached its culmination in 1903, with the so-called May Coup, leading to the murder of Serbia's ruling Obrenovic family. Sweet, sweet revenge for the grandson of that grizzled old Serbian king, Karajord. This grandson was Peter, and he was now King Peter, the king of the Serbs. It wasn't just a name or a dynasty change that Serbs had to accept, though. There was also a foreign policy change that had profound implications for European history. Serbian policy was redirected away from Austria's friendship and towards the friendship instead of the Russian Tsar, sowing the seeds for the infamous assassination a decade later. But who was this King Peter of the Karajord dynasty? Well, by the time he had become king in 1903, Peter had already fought with the French in the Franco-Prussian War, he had trained in Russian military schools, and he had fought incognito with the Bosnian rebels during the Herzegovina uprising in the mid-1870s. Peter was well-travelled, but not altogether well-liked, and the Austrians certainly looked upon him as a usurper, joined by the likes of the British, and the British would actually sever diplomatic relations with the Serbs in 1903, when Peter's regime refused to punish those responsible for the admittedly very brutal murder of the Obrenovich family. Over time, with the détente with Russia and the closer ties within the Entente, the question of Serbia became more important. It was impossible to ignore it because it was right next door to the Austro-Hungarian Empire and could serve as a handy foil in the opening months of any theoretical war that nobody, of course, was planning. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Even though the Serbs became more of a thorn in the side of the Austro-Hungarians, and the Germans consequently as well, most still continued to see the Serbs as part of the same wild bunch of barely civilized Eastern European peoples. They were unruly, they were a bit mad on the old nationalist tonic as well, and this impression was only enhanced with the eruption of the Balkan Wars. Though there was some latent sympathy among the Christian West for the efforts of these Christian Balkan nations in their crusade against the terrible Turk, by summer 1913, with the Balkan Wars at an end, King Peter I's Serbia had gained a great deal of influence on power and represented arguably the greatest threat to Habsburg security and integrity, despite its comparatively smaller population. The rest we largely know, as the Black Hand, leading organisation of the Dark Brotherhood, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Of course, this was a different Black Hand, nothing to do with all that fantasy Elder Scrolls stuff, although the beliefs and behaviours of the Black Hand appeared sometimes more akin to, like, a film or some kind of graphic novel than actual reality. They orchestrated the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, of course, in a bid to realise Serbian irredentism in the Balkans, which the Habsburgs were blocking. In the conflict that followed, despite the terrorism which the Black Hand had advocated, and despite the connections between the Black Hand and Serbian government, which reached high up to the top of Belgrade, and may even have included Nikola Pesic, the Serbian premier, Serbia was viewed largely as the good guy, the plucky underdog, the brave guerrilla fighter in opposition to the central powers. It certainly helped arouse sympathy when Serbia was dogpiled by its neighbours, following more than a year of dogged resistance, and occupied thereafter. The Serbians, which emerged from the collapse of the Habsburg, Russian and German empires, desired, much like other maligned nationalities, to realise their revenge and gain justice by fulfilling their dreams to nation-statehood, which had for so long been denied. For some downtrodden peoples, like the Poles for instance, this meant expanding into the lands of Ukraine and Lithuania, but for the likes of the Serbs, it meant drawing as many Balkan peoples as possible into their net and using their surplus of trained military personnel left over after the fighting in order to do it. News of the Karajordjevic dynasty's coup in establishing and proclaiming the kingdom of the Serbs, Croats and Slovenes reached the Allied powers slowly and would not be fully dealt with until spring 1919 when Serb and Croat dignitaries arrived alongside other East and Central Europeans to press their case for statehood and make plain their vision for what this statehood would look like. Typically for the regions in question, these visions overlapped and contradicted one another, and typically for the Paris Peace Conference, those tasked with making the decisions struggled with an abundance of research materials, but a lack of understanding or practical detail. These shortcomings of the Paris Peace Conference were chronic, and this new kingdom was far from the only victim of them. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 